Welcome to the Community Church. So we're continuing to look at, um, at Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, the book of Romans. And Romans is, is largely divided. Uh, is that straight? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I do that in people's houses when I visit. I apologize for it. Okay. So we are looking at the book of Romans. And um <coughs> the book of Romans is divided into two parts, roughly. So the first 11 chapters are really just outlining the gospel, how, <coughs> how Jesus died in our place, how he takes away our sins, how we can be forgiven, how we can be set free from sin. And so uh, ch chapters 1 to 11 really are just going through the gospel message. And then, and then in chapter 12, he then starts chapter 12, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And there is an appropriate response to the gospel, an appropriate response to the Christian message, and that is to offer your bodies to God, to offer ourselves to God and say, we're going to live for you because of what you have done for us, we're going to live for you. And so in chapter 12 onwards then, he's saying, okay, this is what it looks like then to live for God. And it's really important to separate those two things out, that we're not trying to live for God in order to please him and gain forgiveness, but having gained forgiveness... We say, okay, now we're going to live for him. And that's really what it talks about going onwards from chapter 12. So in verse 1, he says, Paul says, we're to live in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. In verse 9, he says, we are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And, uh, and so it continues, as we saw last week in chapter 13, beginning of chapter 13, uh, we're to subject ourselves to the government, uh, regardless of how good the government is or whether they're a righteous government or not, uh, that is not really the issue. In fact, of course, in Paul's day, the Roman emperors were far from godly. And yet in that context, Paul says, subject yourselves to the emperors. And um <coughs> excuse me, that section then uh, closes with verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8, where he says, give to everyone what you owe them. If it is taxes, then pay taxes. If it is respect, then respect. Let no debt remain outstanding. And he could end at that point. Um, but that idea of uh, owing someone a debt and paying off your debts uh, triggers some thoughts in Paul's mind where he then continues to explain why and how we're to live for God. So let's pick it up <coughs> in, uh, in verse 8. And the text is on the screen. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. <coughs> Excuse me. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, 
not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Father, we thank you uh, for your presence here among us. We thank you also for your word, uh, that through it you, sp- you promised to speak to us. And uh, Lord, so as we come to your word, we don't just come to hear a, hear a talk, but we say, God, we want you to speak as we look at your word together. And uh, so, Lord, each one, we just say we're open to you. Uh, speak into our hearts whatever you need to say, Lord. We're here f- for you and to hear from you and to meet with you. Amen. So every month, Jenny and I pay off our credit card by direct debit, and similarly our mortgage payment, like I'm sure many of you the same, uh, it just goes out automatically. And so in a way, we're quite detached from our debts. We're quite detached from paying what we owe uh, to other people. It just kind of happens automatically, and obviously that's very convenient. But for Paul, um, those kind of uh, direct debits and online banking obviously uh, were not available. And uh, so he had to pay his debts off very intentionally. You had to actively do something uh, about it. And and so what Paul says here is if you owe someone something, then you need to uh, pay it off. And and then as I say, this thought kind of comes to Paul of, of a debt that you owe someone. You think, well, hang on, but there is a debt that never gets paid off. There is a debt that actually we continually owe someone, and that is uh, the the debt of love. Now, of course, with money, if I borrow money from somebody, then once I give them back what I owe them, then we're all square, and, uh, and that's it. It's all over, and Paul is saying it's not like that with love. Love is a continuing debt that never gets paid off. There's never a limit on love. Say, look, you have had your limit of love. Uh, You've had your allowance. You've used it up, and that's it now. I could be mean and unkind. No, he says that's not how love works. It is this ongoing debt that actually we're never free from, Uh, just as God is unlimited in his love towards us. So Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, the Lord has appeared to us saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And so just as God has loved us with a love without limits, that's how we are to love one another and not put boundaries. Oh, look, I've given them six months. That's quite enough. No, we love in an unlimited way. The early (coughs) church leader, Oregon, said, the debt of love remains with us permanently. It never leaves us. This is a debt which we discharge every day and we forever owe. So we have this obligation, this duty, this, this debt, using financial words, to love one another, to love other people. But then Paul explains that it is this love then that shapes our behavior, that what changes us as Christians is not duty, is not rules and regulations, it's not laws, it is love. Now, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament way of doing things was always about rules and regulations. Do this and you shall live. That's what the law said. It doesn't matter about your motivation. It doesn't matter why you, it doesn't matter whether, whether you agree with it, whether you don't agree with it. That doesn't really matter. Actually, as long as you keep the rules, as long as you toe the line, well, that's all that is important. And that's the kind of old covenant way of doing things. The law, keep the law. But now, as Christians, 
Now, the Bible certainly gives us laws. The Bible certainly gives us rules and, and guidelines and so on. But our m- the motivating force behind keeping those is not duty. It is love. We do what we do because of love. And love shapes our behavior. And love is a very powerful motivating force. People do all sorts of things because of love. And you obviously can, there's loads of songs about climbing mountains and crossing oceans and all this kind of stuff. Even this past week, I suspect some of us have even gone so far as to buy cards uh, for those we love. And some really keen ones have probably bought flowers too and put me to shame. Love is a powerful, motivating force. Love, when you love someone, it inevitably changes your behavior. I remember when Jenny and I first started uh, going out, and, and uh, the number of times I would, I would travel, even for just a short time together, and you drive long distances, and you have a short time together, and you drive back at two in the morning, and that's just fine. You don't even think about it, do you? Because you're in love, and that love is a motivating force. And Paul says here that love must shape our behavior, that we do what we do because we love people, and we don't do other things because we love people. And so all the laws, all the Old Testament commands, the Ten Commandments, civil laws, religious laws, he says they are, they are shaped by love. They're motivated by love. They're brought into being by love. Luke 10 verse 27 summarizes the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or as it says here in these verses, we have this continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's not that you're setting out to, right, I'm going to keep these rules. But because we love one another, of course we keep the rules. It would be absurd not to. (coughs) The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. If you genuinely love your neighbor, then, then the idea of murdering them is absurd. If you genuinely love your neighbor, then the idea of committing adultery with their spouse is absurd. And so, so love is a motivating force, and love must change our behavior. And because we love God and because we love others, we want to prefer their needs to our own. And so that shapes our behavior. We'll please God, and we'll have a harmonious community because of love. Now, sadly, <coughs> we live in a society that is very different from that, that is very focused on the self. It's very centered on the self. We live in a society that says it's, it's all about my desires and my freedom and my pleasure. I have the right to be happy. It's all about me. I have the freedom to do what I want. I have the freedom to choose who I want to be. I want to, this is what I want to do, and I'm free to do it. I just have to be true to who I am. Oh, and it might hurt people. Well, I just have to be true to me. Even just in the last <coughs> couple of weeks or so, we have obviously Philip Schofield coming out as gay, and many are celebrating it, and, and his commending his b- supposed bravery. But what about your wife? What about your kids? What about all the other people this is affecting? Oh, but I just need to be true to who I am. Oh, oh that's great. Good for you. So self-centered. We live in such a self-centered world. That is the way of selfishness, and it is not God's way. God's way is a way of love, where love 
focuses on others and pays a great price, just as God did, for others. What is best for others? And so we don't commit adultery, no. We don't murder, we don't steal, because those things hurt others, and we don't want to hurt others. Love does not hurt others. And so the culture of God's kingdom is not one of rule-keeping, it is one of love, that we do what we do, we make choices because of love. We prefer the needs of others over our own. We seek the happiness of others rather than our own happiness. And that should be the culture of our marriages. That should be the culture of the church. It's one of love, preferring one another. The church, people shouldn't come into the church and feel it's a place of rules. It's a place of, of rules and regulations. That's not how the church should feel at all. It should be a place, a culture of, of we love one another. We love our brothers and sisters, and so of course we don't want to hurt them. Love is what motivates our actions, and love is what changes our behavior. We want a culture of love. Just to be clear, though, this is not a weak and wishy-washy attitude that never challenges and never confronts. Our society, I think, has redefined love as affirming others regardless of what they do. Oh, love never challenges. Love never confronts. Love just accepts people as they are and affirms their personal choices. And sometimes that isn't love. In fact, sometimes, actually, that could potentially be very unkind and very unloving to simply affirm them. For example, let's say somebody is struggling with self-harm. Of course we love them, and of course we support them. But we don't affirm what they're doing as good. That's not good. It's, it's very destructive. And so we come alongside them and support them to lift them out of it. But we don't commend them in what they're doing. We don't affirm them in what, oh, what you're doing is great. No, it's not great. It's, uh, it's destructive, and we want to help you out of that. That's love be truly loving is to help each other live the way that God intended. That's truly loving. And that's not always easy. And sometimes it's hard. And so first of all, then, our, our own behavior must be shaped by our love for others. And then out of that love, of course, we help one another to live God's way, because only then can we flourish uh, as God intended us as human beings. We don't simply keep rules. Our lives are shaped by love. That's the first thing. And the second thing he says, <coughs> then, is to wake up and get dressed. Having said that our lives are changed because we now love God and because we have a renewed love for others, Paul then says, okay, so this is how you change your behavior now. This is how your, your life has to now reflect God and honor, honor God. And uh, he uses this illustration of night and day. And he says, we are currently in the night, but the day is coming, and so it is time to wake up and get dressed. Now, uh, darkness and night uh, are often used uh, in the Bible to refer to this age, this, this sinful and confused world in which we live, and it's contrasted with, with the, the daytime and the light that Jesus brings. So, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said when Jesus comes, he will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. John begins his gospel saying, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light 
for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. Paul writes in Colossians 1 and verse 13, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, we are all children of the light and children of the day. We, speaking as Christians, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And so he uses this, he contrasts, we're, we live in this world of darkness, <coughs> but this is not our world. This is not ours. We're, we're of the day. We're a different kind of people. Now, the day that Paul is referring to, it could mean simply uh, the whole future age. So this age is the night and the future age uh, of light and glory where God's kingdom will be established upon the earth. Uh, that's the, the day. It could be referring to that. He could also just be referring to the day of the Lord. So the Bible speaks of a day when Jesus will come back and a day of judgment when we'll all be held to account for uh, the way that we've uh, lived and so on. So perhaps he's just being a bit ambiguous and he means uh, uh, a bit of both. Either way, <coughs> his point is that this dark world is coming to an end and a day is coming when Jesus will return and will usher in a new age. And that is the age that we as Christians belong to. This is not our age. This is not our world. We live in it, but we are not of it. And so Paul says here, so don't adopt the practices of the darkness. Don't ad adopt the practices of the night. Don't just this is not your world. You're to be living for this future age. If only your lives are to reflect the coming kingdom. And so he uses this night and day illustration to say, there are behaviors associated with the night time, and there are so behaviors associated with the daytime. Uh, Matthew, in Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he was a, uh, an uh, old writer, he listed them as uh, drunkenness, adultery, lascivious looks, words, books, songs, gestures, dances, and dalliances. Ooh. These are the wantonness here forbidden whatsoever violates the pure and sacred laws of chastity and modesty. Or, in language you can actually understand, the NIV reader version puts it brilliantly. Have nothing to do with wild parties. Don't get drunk. Don't take part in sexual sins or evil conduct. Don't fight with each other and don't be jealous of anyone. Now obviously nowadays there are so many street lights uh, that actually it's quite hard to find uh, kind of dark places, although I know Kevin in the corner uh, with his telescopes, uh, there are some places, I think some parts of Devon are known as dark areas, is that right? Uh, where you could obviously, uh, there's not so much light pollution and so on. But Paul's point here in his time, obviously there weren't loads of street lights and so on, and things could easily be hidden by the darkness. And there were behaviours that really were associated with the darkness. And obviously, his illustration breaks down uh, because you can't push it too far. So things like jealousy are not particularly hidden by darkness. But some behaviours just seem to go with the night. Drunkenness. Sexual sins. And Paul says that's an illustration of where they come from. That actually they are things of darkness rather than acts of the light. But we are not of this dark world. And so our behavior should reflect the coming kingdom. He says a very similar thing <coughs> in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
He says, you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day of Jesus' return should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, <coughs> let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And so in both of those passages, Paul basically says it is time to wake up and get dressed. See, all too often, I think, as Christians, we can be lulled to sleep by the world and the devil. We stop being radical. We stop being determined. We just drift through life in a sleepy kind of way, not really thinking about what we're doing, not really on the front foot in, in prayer or in worship or in mission. We just drift through life in a sleepy kind of way. And, and God would, from this passage, I think, speak to us, say, wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Uh, as, a, as a preacher, and uh, obviously I've been doing it for, for quite a while, I've seen occasionally some people dozing off. During, obviously, it's very rare. In fact, we've all done it, I'm sure. You know the nod where you try to stay awake? and, you, and we've all, I haven't done it while I'm preaching, obviously. But <laughs> that, that, that you would all notice that. But, but we've, all, uh, we've all done it, haven't we? Um, and, uh, and I have been so tempted to, to, to read out this passage very loud. Wake up from your slumber. Oh, oh, that would stop the nods, wouldn't it? But actually into our life, I think God would speak that into our life. Sometimes it's so easy to just drift through and we get into this sleepy Christianity. And Paul says, no, no, it's time to wake up. Recognize the time that you're living in. We live in a dark world. This is not our world. And the, it, it can so easily affect us and influence. And so, no, come on. Be alert, be sober, wake up, he says. Then having woke up, woke up, woken up, he says we're to get dressed. And interestingly, he says put aside the deeds of darkness, but then he says put on the armor of light and put on, uh, the, the, uh, clothe yourself with Christ. Now what we might have expected him to say is put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the deeds of light. But that's not what he says. He says put aside the deeds of darkness, but clothe yourself with Christ, perhaps, because he's not simply wanting to focus on external behavior, but say this is why you live differently, because following Jesus is not simply about a change of external behavior, but because God has done a deep work within you. And so just as Christ has come and lives within you, clothe yourself with Christ on the outside too. Let the outside look like the inside. Clothe yourself with Christ. Be outwardly who you are inwardly, I guess is what he's saying. Our lives should look like Christ. And so we're to put things off, the things of this dark world, and we're to clothe ourselves with Christ. What does Christ look like? Okay, that's how I'm going to live. Again, it's not, it's not here's some rules you've got to keep. It's what, what was he like? Oh, I want to be like him. It's not I want to keep these rules. And notice that this is something that we are told to do. You have to do this. It's all too easy uh, to for us to pray, God, change this part of my heart. I've got such a quick temper, whatever it is. I've got this quick temper. God, would you change me? And that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to pray. It's a good thing to pray. But I think God would then also say, right, you then need to change. You do something. 
oh God, change me. No, you put aside deeds of darkness. You clothe yourself with Christ. There's a choice that we have to make and steps that we have to, I am not going to react that way anymore. I'm not going to speak and I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to think that. I'm going to take control of the way I think, whatever it is. But we need to, we need to do something. Oh God, change me. You put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the uh, clothe yourself with Christ. I wonder, are you doing that as a Christian? Are you doing that? Are there things in your life that you go, oh, I'm a bit sleepy in that area? No, come on, wake up. Finally then, the day is almost here. It is good to remind ourselves that the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. We can look at this, uh, as I say, the world around us and what we see, it seems, is increasing darkness and uh, growing opposition to the church. We live in a world where, as the prophet Isaiah said, people call evil good and they call good evil. People celebrate and affirm uh, ungodliness and, uh, and they want the church to do the same. And when we don't, we're called bigots. It can feel as if the world around us is getting darker and darker. Although uh, it isn't actually true that the night is at its darkest just before dawn. Uh, that's that's a song, I think, isn't it? But it's not actually true. Uh, but nevertheless, the world can feel dark. And in fact, actually, not just feel, but that it really is getting darker. It is. There is increasing opposition to Christians. There is increasing rejection of God and turning our back on God. And, and the danger for us is that we become fearful and afraid. Or oh, where's the world going? What, what does the future hold? What, what does the future hold for us? What about the next generation, the younger generation? What about them? And we can become fearful and afraid. And we need to hold on to this hope. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And if Paul believed it for himself, then surely it is much closer for us. God has promised that he will do good to our families. God has promised that he will build his church. God has promised he will fill the earth with his glory. God has promised that one day we'll live in a world where there is no sickness and death. And pain. This is this is our hope, and we need to remind ourselves. Yep, this world is coming to an end. I'm not living for this world. The night is almost over. How foolish at six in the morning to think, oh, I'm celebrating the night. It's almost over. It's dark. No, daytime is what we're looking forward to. And we need to remind ourselves. No, no, we're not living for this world. And we're certainly, while we're in this world, not going to live in fear and despair because God has not abandoned this world. Jesus is coming back. And so we continue to press on living for that future age, which is our eternal home. So while we live in this world, we don't follow the ways of the world. We don't let our lives be shaped by this world. We let our lives be shaped by our love for God and our love for one another. And we build a community where we love one another and we honor one another. So of course we don't hurt one another. We place other people's needs over our own. That's God's way. And we wake up to the age in which we live, not being sleepy, dozy Christians, but waking up and think, God, I am going to live for you and your kingdom, clothing myself daily with Christ. I'm looking forward to the age where we will see him face to face. Let's stand.
So the worship team would come back up. <coughs> Let's just take a moment and just pray. Uh, God, increase my love for others. <coughs> that... Uh, that our behavior will be shaped by love for others rather than love for ourselves. Just as God uh, paid such a price for our good that we would be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others. Now, none of us ever love perfectly. We all make mistakes and God is gracious to forgive us, but we don't just complacent about that. Lord, let your love shape us. And let's determine to put aside the deeds of darkness and clothe ourselves with Christ. That what's on the inside will also be seen on the outside. Just uh, before we sing, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then one day this world will come to an end and we will all stand before God and have to give an account for how we have lived and how we have responded to Jesus. Let me encourage you, don't let this opportunity pass you by, but why not you respond to Jesus today? Say, Lord, I want to put my trust in you and receive your forgiveness today. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and grace to us. We thank you that you gave up your son that we might have life that you paid such a price for us because of your love for us and Lord we love you and we want that love to shape our behavior and we love one another and we want that to shape our behavior Lord we pray help us to not <coughs> be sleepy dozy Christians but to wake up to be sober and alert knowing that this age is coming to an end and one day we look forward to your kingdom established on the earth where there no sickness and no pain and no death and no sin we're completely cleansed we look forward to that day help us lord to live for that day and our behavior now reflects For more information, please visit our website, thecommunitychurch.co.uk.